Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I just grew a network and when you find champions, there will be people who open more doors and give you more opportunities. Instead of like questioning it, of course you had to do your due diligence, but I have a really good intuition about people. Three, two, one. My name is Spree Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, this is Joe Peterson. I'm the Vice President of Cloud and Security with Clarify 360. I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about a year, and I was drawn in by the energy and enthusiasm of the Women in Tech podcast. Esprit does a really great job in sharing stories of women in tech so that young female listeners can put themselves in the shoes of these women speaking. See, I strongly believe that if we don't show young women the way forward in tech by sharing our stories, then they won't know what's possible. The stories are what creates the value and inspiration. Great job, guys. LinkedIn presents... Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating incredible women in tech from all around the world. My name is Catherine Roan, and I have the privilege of guest hosting this episode. And with me today is the incredible String Nguyen from Melbourne, Australia. String, welcome. Howdy. G'day. Good morning. I love you, Catherine. (laughs) This is what all Australians do. We all just say g'day to each other, don't we? (laughs) I don't think I really do that, but I feel like I have to put on this act of like Aussie when I go overseas and it's like, g'day. And then it's like, oh my God, can you say shrimp on the barbie? <laughs> can you can you show me the kangaroo in your backpack? Do you really have um, kangaroos or no. drop bears? Yeah. I'm scared of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. See, this is already an incredible start. Um, String, look, I'm going to get you to, to do the honours. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days. So I'm a creative entrepreneur and innovator. I really like I love living in the future. So that's how I got into NFTs last year. It's almost like our one-year anniversary that we created Chubbyverse. So we were about good vibes, spreading rainbow farts and hanging out with friends. Um, And this NFT is just a really, really, really cute, really cute JPEGs. It's like a web-free of Hello Kitty. And all I do is, like, Google online and shitpost. post. <laughs> <laughs> Got to say, that's probably one of the best intros I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just saying, I just, you know, who does that? He makes a living. You know, I didn't, like if I told my mum or my parents, is like, or my family, you know, I graduated in uni, yeah, I'm going to get a nine-to-five job, but I'm going to quit that and just go be creative and then go online and just create content and, like, explore, be curious. But really, today I'm shitposting. <laughs> I would love to hear you explain that to your mum. Hey, mum, 
I shit post all day. <laughs> it's like I just I hang out with no, I just tell her I just hang out online all the time and somehow I make money. I'm sure she's happy with that. Yes. The, the making money part at the end. Before I, I ask you kind of a question about you, right? This word that people throw, I mean, these three letters that people throw around a lot, NFTs, very confusing. Can you please just simplify what the heck NFTs are? Well, I guess like the 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 way I describe it in a very basic term, and this is my creative way of saying it, it's just like a JPEG that lives on a blockchain. And this blockchain is innovative because it allows us to track and be accountable and trace the providence of it. So if I if I have to say, like, if you if we die in 100 years because blockchain lives forever, someone could check out the blockchain and say, oh, this is the, you know, the, the history of this JPEG. It doesn't have to be JPEGs. It could be videos. It could be text. It could be any media form. And the way that uh, we track it is, like, you get a unique number, like a phone number, and it goes, like, if we type in a phone number, it's like, oh, this will go to that JPEG point to that unique JPEG. So it kind of has an address that it goes to, that that, that number kind of points towards. Yeah, but it, it's unique addresses, just like how we have unique mobile numbers to track us. And the cool thing is, like, I feel like um, this uh, it's a programmable ID in many ways, right? So eventually we could do more things with that JPEG. And one of the exciting use cases of it is, like, um, royalties. Creative people don't get paid. So, or I like if you are more geeky and you're a teacher, right? When you do PhDs and people don't want to, how do you credit people? So by tracking the credits, you know, of that, the research, and if you use that in your research, it backtracks and um, says, oh, I've used this research. Check out this ID. Because URLs is not enough anymore. You need to track the reputation of that academic and the writer. So I kind of so there's like that kind of use case. I know I'm going geeky. I was going to say cases. we got so geeky so quickly, and we've only just said hello. I know. <laughs> I said g'day. <laughs> we just said g'day to each other. And I'm just going to pause on that because I think that's a really interesting, um, a really interesting way to talk about something that is at the moment still a little bit blurry for a lot of people. You know, like so many use cases, and you know the attachment at the start being okay, it's JPEGs, and now what? And now you're kind of starting to explain from a more nerdy perspective what it can open the doors to in terms of what NFTs can be. So I'm just going to pause on that for one second. But tell us, like, you dropped so many little nuggets along the way in your intro that I'm like, oh, but what about that? What about that? So tell us a little bit about you, String. Like, how did this, I don't know, how did String start? Firstly, String, where did that come from? I was a, actually, I was always creative when I was young and being a daughter of a refugee I felt like I had to do the, the good daughter path and graduate from university. So I was the first one among my family to graduate as a university, like with a degree. But the nine to five job did not make sense to me. I felt like I was getting squished. And I felt like I also had to deal with my cultural identity. So I used creativity to follow my curiosity. And because of that, I just noticed, oh, like I became a string installation artist like I did one grants, but then I realized like being an artist is poor (laughs) or I lacked the certain skills and a good artist these days has to be a good business person. So I was like, okay, I need to market myself. So then people kept on asking me how to do things online because I kept on building up a community around me and audience around me. 
and people ask me questions and I just follow my curiosity and it kind of because of that I was able to grow a a Snapchat channel for women in tech uh grow audiences and then jumped onto LinkedIn because I'm always the one who's first on the platform and then I stacked up my skills to be a startup founder and then eventually got into NFTs because it's all about timing opportunities you need to leverage it when it happens just like when I did LinkedIn when I got up to 50,000 followers it's because I just doubled down on momentum there and you say that you're you like to be at the forefront of everything and you're the first to a lot of these platforms that you've mentioned how do you have the foresight to do that my network tells me and then I get invites it's like hey string do you want to go here it's like okay and do you just say yes to everything not everything. At the beginning, I said yes, but when you're when you get request a lot, and I get a lot of request, then you have to say no, no, so you could focus on things that make make sense. Now that I like before, it was easy just to say yes and follow pathways because that's how I was able to get, find my champions and live rent free in San Francisco for six months. Tell me about that. Oh, because of Meerkat, like <laughs> every time I go into the the gateway to America there's like who do you know here why are you here did you meet online it's like yeah I met online it's like have you met them in person are you getting married it's like you know was it on a dating site it's like it's it's kind of funny because my job description does not make sense to a lot of people but if I said I was a youtuber maybe I would get a, get through the doors faster but now I just say uh, I'm a marketer consultant it makes more sense right easier that's to understand. easy to get mm-hmm. through yes yeah Yes, uh, but um, I feel like um, I, I just grew a network and when you find champions, there will be people who open more doors and give you more opportunities instead of like questioning it. Of course, you had to do your due diligence, but I have a really good intuition about people. What I'm hearing from what you're saying is, you know, you mentioned that you listened to the crowd. So when I asked you the question, like, how did you know where to go? You're like, I listened. That's really cool. And then you have been really upfront about finding your champions in that community and then allowing them to help you, right? And so like, you're building that tribe around you. And it's a really cool narrative that I'm hearing so early on in the piece because, you know, I'll, there's a lot of chat about that out there around like, oh, you know, I did it, I did it myself, I did this and I did that. And a lot of what's missing is like what happened in the background of the people who are pushing you forward. So I really appreciate that's so at the forefront of your narrative. It's like I actually listened to people and there were people who wanted to support me and I wanted to find them and I wanted them, you know, give them the opportunity to help me. So I think that's really cool to, to kind of bring forward. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because, like, um, why do you think all the VCs give money to people who go to Harvard or those fancy universities? It's because they have a network behind them. And if you're starting from zero you know, people are not going to give you money if you, they don't know you. It's just make, making sure that you build up credibility and I do it transparently. Um, and I guess, like, I document my journey the more so people kind of know me. So they know me, then I don't know them. So all the homework I've explained my story is I did that first initial meetup. What made you feel like, um, because a lot of the platforms that you were talking about, so say LinkedIn um, and Meerkat, there's a lot of you putting yourself and your face even out there. You know, you're not hidden behind an avatar or a name or that sort of thing or, or a synonym or anything. What what kind of made you want to be able to, because that's a, what a lot of people struggle with, right, putting their a face to that name and then, you know, going, this is me, this is what I say, this is who I am, this is what I look like. 
what gave you kind of, I don't know, just the want and desire to put yourself fully out there? Oh, because I was scared. Um, tell me more about that. I think I have to go through the imposter syndrome and I had to deal with that for many years of my life. And I think many people go through that, but putting myself out there means that I'm just sharing my story. It's just giving me myself the confidence and building up my training my body to like find the courage to do things and put myself out there. And, you know, I learned how to set boundaries. I learned how to find my voice. I learned how to, you know, articulate messaging. Like, you know, there were a lot of personal development, just like putting myself out there. And just because of that, I know that I know that the more I do it or put myself out there, the more I'm winning. It's an interesting way to put it because things that scare people, naturally you run away from it. And is that something that you've always had in you or is that that sort of resilience and that just sort of gumption and courage to put yourself out there or is it something that was developed over time for you? I think over time, but I remember like um, one of my mentors, I knew him when I was younger as well. He's like a big brother. He'll push me into the deep end and I just go up. And I always use that analogy because, like, you know there's something on the bottom anyway So, and there's someone there to support you anyway. But I also realise, like, um, once I have, like, that stability, I tend to rocket up or dive deeper, which depends on which way you want to think about it. But I notice, like, when once I have that stability, I go for another growth period. And then I find another stability, then I go for another growth period. So like, that's like my incentive is to keep growing. And I think I grow more faster than most people because like uh, I'm always pushing out, like, um, you know, if you, just realising the growth that I have in the last like uh, five, ten years is kind of like really positive, especially from a founder's perspective or someone who's like just like willing to go out there. I wouldn't find trends if I wasn't courageous or willing to do things. Like people always ask me, it's like, how do you do NFTs? And I realize like, oh, the pathway that an artist take or educator or academic. And I realize like, oh, they lack certain skills to be successful, but they'd be a really good specialist. What what skills are you talking about? Like an artist doesn't know how to build hype, don't know how to market themselves. They create the product, but they don't know how to like document the journey. It's like, it's people don't realize it's them that they care about. So adding sentimental value makes people more bullish about them and want to support them. It's like how we did VME, um, which is like a, a Vietnamese Australian TV sh- series. That it, w- it took a, like a 10-year journey or more to develop from a startup to become a web series to become a TV show, right? Because like she built an audience and documented the journey around it. And I think that's what artists should do more properly. Like, you know, and I think in the startup world, the the developers, the ones you build in public are the ones that get the audience and get the users and get the feedback loop. Whereas an artist, sometimes they do things in silo. They don't know how to market themselves. Right. So you're saying, I mean, you've got to be good at your jam, whatever that is, you know, the specialist as an artist, but there are things around the periphery that you kind of need to understand as well in order to get that traction, get people to believe in you. And what I hear you say is it's actually you. Like, yes, the art is cool. The art is very skillful. But at the end of the day, people are attracted to you and what you bring to the table and are supporting you. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Especially if you're a creative type. Like, there's certain people that are charisma and like, oh, even if I like don't, um, 
like I evolve, the artists evolve, and you want to follow the evolution. The product, like, you know, an artist only does so well if they believe themselves or don't believe themselves. Comedians don't have a, a weird paradox where they have to always downplay themselves. But that's because, like, they, they have a strong self-awareness. Because of the strong self-awareness, they create a really strong stand-up comedy. Same thing with artists. Like, the artist has to go through their own process and journey to develop the skill sets. But if there's no one that knows them, it's always going to be a hobby. Could they have that kind of monetization model behind them? What do you think is getting in the way of artists developing those skill sets outside of art? Ego. It's like with anything, right? Ego, there's a healthy dose of ego. Their pride stops them from achieving things. Their pride is making them selfish for not showing more of themselves. Do you think it's pride or do you think it's being scared? Is that, does that go hand in hand? I'm not sure. You know, like fear is because they feel like they uh, they lose face or they become shameful. Like that fear stops them because of something else, which is like, oh, I don't want to be laughed at or joked at or being pointed at. But, you know, but the funny thing is like, what's the worst thing that you could do by showing yourself? I mean, I had to go through that period too, right? Like when, for example, for me, and this is not about me, but just to kind of relate to the story is that, you know, I was a teacher and I was really early on my career and I had an incredible opportunity to do some recordings. So put my face to my subject, to my name, have that out there for thousands of students who now currently use it, right? And there was a lot of fear around that. You know, so many insecurities around that. And it was kind of like, well, I just had to measure up the upside. And the upside was I get to be able to have the opportunity to impact much more than I can in my own personal classroom. And if that's the case, can I take any crap that comes my way as a result of that? If yes, I need to do it anyway. If I feel like I can't, I don't know, I have to work through that. So for me, I had to, I, I went through that, that whole like, now I'm just like, I don't really care. Like you can say whatever you want about how the way I look, the way I sound. I don't care. Two things, right? As a kid, we were taught to fit in, but as an adult, we have to stand out especially when we're competing for attention, that success, that new promotion, not getting fired. You can't be too quiet because you'll be the first one to get cut. But you can't be too forceful. That's another conversation. But the other thing is as well, and the second thing is, the ironic thing is when we don't care, that's when they care. Like if we care too much, we come off needy, desperate. People are like, gross, you got the germ locks, run away. <laughs> yep. But Classic like, primary school, I remember that. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of our training still comes with us when we go when we become adults, right? So we have to unlearn a lot of these things. As whereas like now I don't care. I'm getting brand deals. I'm doing things like uh like they say no, I don't care. I move on to the next person. I'm posting it up on LinkedIn and I used to have high attraction, but I don't care because I have to like redo the algorithm again. But it's also I need people to comment. So when they comment, that's when I get fed into the post. So I have to go back to the fundamentals again. So I don't care. And people still come to me. You know, it's like, String, I want to do a collab with you. I'm, can I do this with you? And I say, yes, no, yes, no. Right? So the more you don't care, the more you grow. It's like your audience will grow or there's more demand for you. I think it's just the nature of humanity. Like they want things that they can't have. It's so interesting that you were saying that flip, like as kids fit in, as adults stand out. And it's crazy because I see, for example, when I was in schools, it was like the kids were their own people 
for ages when they were younger and I love that. And then you get to the older years and you can see them start to kind of go into that cookie cutter mold, right? And then they start to do the fitting in thing. And then as adults, you see now so many posts and so many people being like, how do I stand out of the crowd? How do I be different? How do I be me? I'm like, well, you've always been you. You know, it's kind of like, remember what happened when you were younger, that you, like that's you, right? So it's really interesting that you bring that up. And is that something you've brought along with you to what you're doing at the moment with, with Chubby Verse and everything you're doing there? I do feel like the the ironic thing is that because of COVID, I feel like people want to hang out with more friends or as adults, we are more lonelier than ever. So we are looking for friendships, but then... It's also uh, it's also tapping into the inner child or playfulness and silliness, and we don't give ourselves the permission to be silly. So Chubby Fest became the environment, and we have like created hundreds of stickers and gifs and then uploaded them onto Giphy, and, and that came you know that spiral, you know like one point three one point four billion views now on Giphy just because people could relate to the silliness of it. And, and I realised kids and adults could relate to it. I mean, you've, you've been able to build this, and I did read your Twitter thread of, of how Chubbyverse started, and it was, you know, no code and a lot of just hustle and, and having your designer friends come along and, and hand draw these, which I didn't know, which I think is amazing, incredible. And if you haven't checked it out already, please go and check out Chubbyverse. Just the designs are amazing. And so how did that idea come? Like, how did you get to that point? So I know that you've always been designer and you've always been creative in so many different outlets, but how did the whole concept for Chubbyverse come about? So Space Pixel, he's one of the co-founders, has been dabbling in NFTs. I was running my own startup. I was about to pick traction. Like I was like helping a lot of professionals use their voice on LinkedIn and grew that. And then he's like, string, you need to get into NFTs, all the things you care about. Creativity, entrepreneurship, innovation, community. Did I say mention community? Yes, but it's all there. So I went in there and instead of me being the artist, I decided I will be the, you know, in startups there's always a hustler, the hipster, the hacker. I'll, I'll be the hustler. So I brought in people. And then the hacker, he's got the tech background. So he's like, okay, we need, because he has also data analytics background. He's like, oh, there's a cute market that we could tap into. It's like, okay. So I called in my designer and artist friends and they gave me something. And it's like, okay, this one, but make it derpier. This chubby unicorn. And we made it derpier. (laughs) At the end of the day, you have to be very memeable. Memeability is the markability of the artwork. And a lot of people don't realize that with when it comes to illustrations or the narrative or the words we use, it has to be markable. And memeability has like a inbuilt viral machine if you know how to tap into it. As you said, it's it sounds like a combination of a lot of the things that you've you value and you've kind of been working towards community, art, entrepreneurship, all of that stuff. And what are some challenges that you faced before? You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be now with Chubbyverse or just sometime in your career. And how did you overcome it? Challenges was like a, I feel like I always thought that being not tech or not, not knowing code would limit me, but I noticed that I don't need to do things without code. Like I was able to achieve Chubbyverse without code. And now we have a developer. And even then, like if you use no code, 
you could test out a lot of your thesis about if this product works or not, or if there's demand around it. So I feel like um, just because I don't have a code background doesn't mean that I don't understand how things work. So just knowing how things work is a better advantage than know how 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 to do the code. If you get enough funding, you could or the right project or the right person along, you could find a co-founder who knows how to code. But I don't necessarily think you need to code to test out ideas. We have to be scientists at the end of the day and see if that get gets us results. And it's okay to quit. And I think a lot of people, like I think that's one of the things that I didn't do is like quit earlier. But they're also like. Quit I mean meaning because like I stayed in in partnerships that didn't work out, but it wasn't healthy for both of us, or understanding that it's okay to let things go, but learn from those experiences. And I think a lot of people fear failure, but I like embrace it now as more of lessons and what not to do again, or how to improve on that experience. What I'm really liking that I'm hearing from the theme of everything you're saying is your ability to reframe a lot of things you know, reframe fear, reframe, you know, I mean, fear for you. It's like, (laughs) if it's scary, I will do it. And, you know, when you talk about failure, like my reframe for failure is it's a learning opportunity and learning experience. I'm just really curious for me personally, like how did you come about building that muscle of being able to take, you know, something, because you have that power, right? You have the power to reframe whatever it is that's happening to you and you can use it to your advantage or your disadvantage. Totally up to you. How did you go about building that for yourself and being able to reframe all of these situations in a way that's always going to be positive for you and a part of your growing? I think the biggest epiphany was like, like we could only control what we do, but we can't control others. And there's no point controlling others. Maybe you could create the space and environment to influence things, but they could still say no to you at the end of the day. Or if they're angry, it's like, are they angry at me or are they angry about the situation? And because of that kind of like thinking about that kind of context, it kind of made me realize about reframe. But once I'm calm, the other person gets calm too. If I get angry, they kind of like instinctively become angry themselves. And if they still are angry, I'm okay to like walk away from them. And then, like, I tell them off later. It's like, hey, what you did was not cool. Here's why. It's all about ownership, right? And I think it comes from self-awareness. So how do you become more self-aware? I think it's, like, going through your own internal reflections, you know, understand your triggers when you're angry or you're reactive. Why? But it's not because of the situation that happens at that moment. There's always some kind of trigger that goes deeper. And finding the root of that helps you understand the context of how you deal with things. And that builds up your self-awareness. And I think that that self-awareness allows me to adapt to new things or not take life seriously a little bit, right? You know, I just realised I'm in a relationship. I was single for 10 years, but then I was, like, coasting with life. Career's going high, everything's going high, doing well. And then when you're in a different relationship, I had to unlearn. Like, I was, like, actually holding back other aspects of me. And the more we are vulnerable about ourselves, the more we have to go through and face those triggers. And then I realise, oh, why am I being angry or why am I reactive to these points? So I have to unlearn a lot of things. I guess uh, just to wrap up, I've got a few really quick fire questions for you. So anything that comes off the top of your head, please. Favourite podcast? My first million. The two boys, right? Sean and Sam. Yes. Funny dudes. Yes. Um, best resource for tech? 
AZ16 lately. Mm-hmm. Do you read through all their stuff? No, I just like watching their videos and reading their newsletters. They have like a really good podcast resource. Agreed. Your hobby? Reading manga and eating fried chicken. What manga are you reading at the moment? Uh, I'm reading really, what's it? I just read everything because that's like my, you know how like you have something to go procrastinate? That's my thing. And I just read, I just go to a manga site and just read visually. Oh, cool. If someone who's never been into manga before, like, comes and asks you, like, what should I, what should be my first one? What would be your recommendation? One Piece, Hunter x Hunter. All right. So you heard the recommendations. If you're not into manga, please hit up those resources. They're actually quite good. I can recommend also. Um, Just a couple of closing questions before I let you go. What can our community do to support you? Follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm string story everywhere, but on LinkedIn, it's like string you in. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for spending the time with us, String. I really appreciate it. And it's been it's been a fun conversation. And to everyone who's listening, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech from all around the world. Remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And of course, say hello to us on our socials at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Insta and Facebook. And of course, until I see you next time, take care of yourself, stay rad. Bye. Hi, I'm String, CEO of Chubbyverse and all things geeky. If you have to know anything about Chubbyverse, we're a really, really cute NFT brand. Think Web3 of Hello Kitty. I'm based in Australia. And thanks for listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.